I, uh, Chris and I had takeout Chinese food yesterday. And uh, you know, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Be one of those things. I still like my meat and potatoes when it comes to... Um, but any... any uh, yeah, I am sad. But uh, any good Chinese meal, you read the fortune cookie, right? And uh, my piece of paper, and that's what I'll just call it, was influence people, or people will be influenced by your positive attitude, right? And I was thinking, well, that'll, that'll uh, incorporate into the message for Sunday. Um, but really, when Jesus comes, right, things are going to be changed. Things aren't going to stay this way, right? God's in control, and uh, that's something that God's people have that promise, right? At the same time, we have that responsibility. And... Uh, this week, as I studied, and, and we're going to continue through John chapter 11 as, I, as I'm learning through this, and um, just this idea of God's people, you know, grasping at who Jesus is. Um, how do we figure out who He is? How do we discover who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is? Is it, is it through thoughts and ideas? Is it through the faith of, of our grandparents? Is it relying on a church building in the midst of the community to remind us who it is? Is that how we discover who he is? No, oh, it's through the reading of the word. It's through coming to the quietness of time alone with him. It's diving deeper and deeper into the truths God has given us. And that is where our hunger, that is where our footing, our foundations come from. Just a, a thought. What fuels a hunger for something? All right? I want you to think there. What fuels a hunger for something, a, a desire to know more? Or even if we just use that food illustration. If all of a sudden, let's say you use Chinese food. If all of a sudden, all of a sudden you find yourself in a place of craving something more. What does it? What is that? I find myself, and I'll just answer because I don't think I'm wording that quite properly. For me, my hunger for something is because I've tasted something ahead of me. I've tasted something, something more. I know there's something more. I know there's, there, there's something more to be experienced here. And, and, and for me, the, 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 the knowledge and discovering my Savior, that fuels my hunger for discovering my Savior. Right? And as we step into this text, we're going to see that because these girls didn't grasp the full picture of who Jesus was at the start. Right? There, was a, there was a depth. Jesus was going to lead them deeper, show them, uh, explain to them. And that's really been weighing in on my heart because we have people in our lives that are just floundering. And, and for me, it's just like if you just understood who Jesus is, right? A lot of these problems, a lot of these weights, a lot of these things that you're discouraged through would, would maybe not disappear, but you'd be putting them in the right place, right? So this, this hunger. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we step into our study this morning, Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us discover who you tell us you are. Lord, when I think of, of, of you coming to this earth in the form of, of man to walk amidst broken man their lives with the intent of, of not just bringing them to, you, to yourself, but helping them get back to where you want them to be, helping them to stand up. Lord, I pray 
that, that, that these truths would just find, find their application in our own hearts. These truths would find themselves just solidifying maybe in the words that, that we speak to others. Lord, I pray that when we leave this church building um, in moments ahead, Lord, I pray that we would leave with something to, to think about, Lord, and that something would be you. And I just pray that you lead this study in your precious name. Amen. Well, John chapter 11, again, this, this idea of, of hunger, hunger for who he is, and it leading, like, we, like we, we're looking for a taste of something more. And in John chapter 11, we, we've read through the, the, the narrative several times over the couple weeks, so I'd just like to, to step into verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse 3, therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now hopefully there's a little underline underneath that love, right? That phileo, the one that you have, have affections for, preferences for. The, behold, the one whom you love is sick. And I'd just like to recap where we were last week. The, the, the difference, these new believers, these women with these urgent need, didn't yet understand agape love this side of the cross. This this desiring after them. We, last week we used the, the illustration of, of newlyweds, right? That, that desiring after love that God has for, for his creation, a desiring to have all of them, desiring he would do anything to have all of you. They didn't quite understand this agape love, this side of the cross. But think with me, even in where they were in their faith, they instantly attached themselves to Jesus. Right? They instantly attached themselves to Jesus. Whatever was going on, we think of Mary sitting at His feet. We think of this urgent need that's before us. They knew that Jesus was the person that they needed to turn to. We think of these women watching Jesus love all who came to Him. Right? All who turned to Him. As Jesus walked through Israel, that, that in, in times threw rocks, at times hated him, at times he had to, to hide himself and leave, right? We still saw him loving all who turned to him. We watch and we recognize all the, the sick, the disease, the demon possessed. I mean, uh, perfect, um, cleaned up, uh, good looking people weren't coming to Jesus. It was the broken, it was the brokenhearted. And Jesus loved all who turned to him. And I thought to myself, how important that message is for people to understand today. If you turn to Jesus, there is no partiality, right? When you turn to Jesus, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you look like, the mistakes that you're making. You turn to Jesus. He will love you. He will lead you to that place of understanding agape love. People really need to know that today, don't they? People really need to know that, that Christ will love you where you are at. thought to myself, people need to stop being independent. Right? 
thinking that they have it all together, thinking that they have to have it all together. That's one of Satan's greatest tactics. Right? We come to Jesus. Jesus loves an agape love, all who turn to him. Jesus loved, to tie this in with our Abba Father theme for this morning, Jesus loved with an Abba Father's love because he'd been sent from the Father. He'd been sent to the hurting. He'd been sent to the sick. For those in health care, he'd been sent to those desperate situations that break your heart. That's who Jesus came for. Jesus had been sent to the broken people of Israel to lead them into God's plan of grace, to enjoy God's presence. Maybe for me, maybe this is my understanding growing up, Jesus came to real people with real struggles. Not the fake ones. The Pharisees had their own reward, the Beatitudes talked about. The Pharisees had their own, um, their own payday. No, Jesus came to real people people with this agape love you remember in Luke chapter 4 and I'm just 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 trying to seat this message in the love of God before we move forward right we remember from Luke chapter 4 where Jesus stood in the synagogue and, and he's asked to read and he stands up and he reads from Isaiah 61 here are the words the spirit of the Lord God is upon me Jesus speaking because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. To the poor. Preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, those in bondage. And the opening of the prisons to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus had come to the broken people. Jesus had come to the people with the struggles. People had come, Jesus had come to the people who were in bondage, as Edward said, to, to Satan and the deceptions and the lies that he was promoted, right? Promoting in that time. Jesus had come to save them from, from what was coming. Jesus had come with God's agape love to stand things back up. I have that in, in, in little quotations, to stand things back up. Things had fallen, right? Right from the garden, Adam and Eve, right? They made that decision, right? Fallen man, fallen creation, um, fallen from what God's intention and purposes of, of mankind, humanity, enjoying His presence. Jesus had come to stand things back up to the way God had intended. I shared in Wednesday this, from the garden to glory, right? From the garden to glory, that's the big picture here. Um, from garden to glory, from garden to the eternal state. This agape love that we see in verse 5. Now Jesus loved agape Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This agape love of the Messiah King on the cross. These ladies had no idea how special the love of Jesus had for them. They didn't understand that yet. They had no idea how deeply God's divine love and purpose went from the garden to, to glory. They didn't understand that yet. They used the word phileo to describe their understanding of Jesus' love, but God would move them to begin understanding His agape 
love, the love of God, as they witnessed what took place on the cross. Right? As they watched Jesus willingly go through the trials, watched Jesus willingly go to the cross for his love for all men, where he paid the price for all sin. The love of God is seen in the eternal, unconditional, sacrificial love that was willing to take every strike of the whip, every strike from the hand, every piercing of the thorn, every mock and taunt, every hammer blow on the nails. And that picture, and this is the carpenter in me, as he was in agony as they lifted that cross and dropped it into that hole, right? That jar, that, 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 it's always spoke to me as I, I, I've read that, that jar, his love, the Father's love, agape love for all men. These ladies did not understand yet, and I say yet, but three weeks from now, weeping at the foot of the cross, they would begin to understand the agape love of the new covenant in his blood. Right, in his blood from the other side of the cross, from the other side of the grave, from the other side of the resurrection. Now, Jesus loved. And I start thinking on how we apply that to some of our struggles. Right, the things that, that we think are the end of the world here. And I'm not trying to, to downplay how we're feeling or what we're going through. But when we relate that with that love that we have in Christ... <laughs> There, there is nothing as we give it to Him that we cannot endure. The challenge from that this week, as I just kept quieting my heart around this agape love, many believers throughout the history of the church have missed this agape love. Many believers have missed it. Many believers find themselves in this position today needlessly, because they choose to stay in a place with the mindset of Jesus being their friend. Jesus being an acquaintance. Jesus being someone who they've had an interaction with. They've chose to, 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 to follow Jesus at some point in their lives. And yet they're very careful to keep him at arm's length. right? Because that love of Jesus commands a commitment that love of Jesus and what he endured and, and why he went to the cross, as we participate in that, Jesus commands us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That's the, the result of it. We're saved. We're, we're baptized into the body of Christ. We're sealed, but then we're commanded to follow him. Jesus did, after all, give us everything. Right? Jesus, after all, did give his everything. And I asked myself this week, what does that look like today? If you're sitting here this morning and you, you say you understand the agape love of, of Christ, what does reciprocating or what does committing yourself to him who gave his everything, what does that look like in your life? What does it look like as, as, as you make Christ your priority in everything? What does that look like as you understand that, that the church is his bride? He has left us here with one purpose, and that is to go and make disciples teaching the very truths that we have here. What does this look like in the commission? Jesus gave us everything. 
Jesus came, and that is the agape love. How do you understand that? How do you respond to that? I just wrote from a, a pastor's perspective, it breaks my heart to see people who say they love Jesus with no intention of following him. Breaks my heart. I can follow that up with I've been there. I spent a, lot of, a large chunk of my 35 years in that place. It's very real. From there, we step into verse 4. When Jesus heard that, heard this urgent message, that he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I'm going to read that one more time. I got it in my notes. Read it at least twice. Because it's very quick. We can be very quick just to step over this verse. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, the Son of God may be heard me glorified through it. And I wrote here in my notes, first we need to understand that part of pulpit ministry is teaching and encouraging a deeper reading study of our Bibles. And that's part of my task here, right? Getting people hungry to, to look at some of these words. Start thinking theologically, right? We don't want to stay on the milk forever. <laughs> I like milk, but uh, there, there needs to be more to the meal than that. Um, these aren't just nice ideas. Um, these aren't just a couple thoughts. I think as you surf the wide web and you look for different sermons, you know, let's just have a little chat about something. Right? That's no approach to, 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 to step into the Word of God. No, it's, it's, it's God, show me, teach me. You know, I, I, need, I want more. I want to understand more about this. So here we go. Here in verse 4, we come face to face, and Jonathan mentioned it a couple weeks ago there about the Trinity and the deity of Christ. And this is something that we really need to sort out in our minds and hearts. There's so much confusion, even after you step out uh, of this building. I had a, a Pentecostal lady step in and, and visit me this week, right? And they believe a very different doctrine to do with the Trinity than what we do, right? And that means that the people in our circles, uh, the people we interact with, there's a, a confusion here. So how do you see the Trinity? How do you see the deity of Christ in this? And we'll get to why that is so important. Well, here in verse 4, we come face to face. We have God the Spirit. Let me read it again. Can you identify where God the Spirit is in this verse? When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And Edward touched on this very briefly. Right? Where do we see God the Spirit in this verse? Well, we recognize... Right? Jesus had read it in Isaiah 61. We remember what happened at Jesus' baptism. Remember? Yeah, that's right. right. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. So the people present could see that God has authenticating Jesus in his ministry. So as Jesus is speaking, we see God the Spirit present. Where is God the Father in this verse? It's talking about for the glory of God. Where is God? How do we identify that here? Well, God is on his throne, isn't he? Right? God the Father is on the throne. Right? He's on the throne in heaven. He's on the throne in the third heaven. We've, we've looked at passages um, to do with this. So we've got God the, the Spirit within the Son. We've got God the Father on his throne. And now we have God the Son. Who's God the Son? Jesus. 
So all of a sudden we have, we have the main purpose, the, the text of this, coming out of this verse. The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, and the Son of God may be glorified through it. We have the emphasis on the Trinity at work here, and we have the, the deity of Christ, right? The Godhead that can't be separated, rising to the surface. Quick turn through past pages of Gospels reveals, okay, tongue, reveals a collection of teachings. Okay, we have four Gospels. Collection of teachings, sermons, all declaring the deity of Christ. That Jesus had come from the Father. That Jesus was sent from the Father, right from Deuteronomy 18, all through John that we've been looking at. That Jesus spoke on behalf of the Father. As Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. As Martha confesses here shortly in verse 27 of John chapter 11, read with me. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed, the chosen, the Son of God who has come into the world. It all has to do with the deity of Christ. Christ has to be glorified and exalted through this. So I asked the question, I think this was maybe Monday afternoon, I don't remember what I was doing, but it just kind of, why, why is it so important for Jesus to be God here? As Jesus is walking in the midst of Israel, why, why is it so important? Why is it so important for, for New Testament believers, students of the Word, to understand that Jesus is God here? I want you to think about that. Well, I think their number one is our salvation depends on it. You understanding that Jesus is the Son of God, that no one else could pay that price for sin, right? Because there is no sinless man, right? There is no sinless sacrifice. It is only Jesus, God himself, that could do that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. We'll take a quick trip through the Romans road. Romans chapter 10. Right, as Paul is writing this, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is all to the, the Jewish mindset. Right, this is all to do with Israel because they had rejected him. It's all to do with what Israel had to come to terms with. They had to understand that Jesus is the Messiah King. They had to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God who came and, and died for them. It's the place where each of us, hopefully, have come to. Because this is our gospel. This is our gospel. John chapter 10, verse 9. says that, that if you confess with your mouth, right, if you acknowledge, right, if, if you assent to that, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Right, what's that saying there? If you acknowledge with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that He is the Messiah King, He is the Son of God, He is God in the flesh, God incarnate, He came for one purpose. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So how important is it to understand that Jesus is the Son of God? That God's agape love sent him to the, the world with one purpose, and that is to die and pay the price for all sin, right? It, 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 is, it is key that we confess with our mouth and we understand that Jesus is the Son of God.
to finish that, verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. I keep saying this, one day we'll have time to go through a Roman study, but, but, but we believe and we are clothed, not in man's righteousness, not in something that we can do. We are clothed in what only God could provide, and that is through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And that, that's when we understand what that's placed, and that involves our turning, our, our committing, understanding that we're going to dig deeper and discover and be conformed in the image of Christ, all of that. But it comes down to understanding that Jesus must be God. Jesus must be the Son of God, Christ the Son of the living God, in our hearts and minds to understand what took place on the cross. Jesus must be God, especially in regards to spiritual deliverance as well as when we're going through our trials. Sickness, right? Disease, that word cancer, and, and all the different things that are involved in it. Our bodies falling apart there as we get, well, you know what? I'm going to say older. I know mine's starting to fall apart. I've had that conversation even this morning with some. It, uh, but Jesus, God, he's more than just a friend. Right? He came with that agape. That agape love is there for each of us. <clears throat> John 11 again. And we will get through verse 4. I promise we'll end up in verse 27. Yes, I can do that. I just want to uh, just, just finish this thought here. The sickness is not unto death, but the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. How important is lifting up the Son to his preeminent position at the right hand of the Father? Because where is Jesus right now? Right hand of the Father, right? Um, Colossians 3.1, If indeed you were raised with him, set your mind on the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is. <laughs> no one but God does that, right? So here we are. How important is it for, for these Jewish men and women following Jesus to exalt Jesus, to glorify Jesus to the place of, of seeing, okay, there's God the Father, and then there's God the Son. Okay, I understand this. These Jewish people understood giving glory to God. Think with me, the temple, the feasts, the hymns, the psalms of ascents, they understood what, what, what coming before God and exalting God was all about. But what about Jesus? Right? Did they understand that Jesus is the Son of God? They're, they're, they are one. Did they understand that? I'm glad we have the, the full counsel of the Word and we can see the big picture here. But we take that to the conclusion. And I encourage you just, just to think for a second. These people had to understand that when Jehovah spoke, when God the Father on His throne spoke, Jesus was speaking. Jesus was speaking for the Father. These are the words of God. See that? God in heaven speaking through the Son. These people had to understand that. They had to elevate Jesus, glorify Jesus, exalt, magnify Jesus in their understanding to fully grasp what took place on Calvary. What about John chapter 8 when God spoke to Abraham? Right? When God spoke to Abraham in Genesis, who was speaking? Jesus was. Jesus was there. 
right? Um, angel of the Lord in Genesis 18. I mean, it, it, it's a beautiful picture, but Israel had to grasp that. And Jesus, the Son of God, had to be exalted, had to be glorified. Moses speaking with the burning bush. Who was he talking to? Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is present there. When the angel of the Lord spoke all through the Old Testament, it was, it was God speaking, Jesus was speaking. This miracle of Lazarus walking out of the tomb was to connect what they could understand with what they could not understand. Are we seeing that? As Jesus calls on Lazarus to, to come out of the tomb, right? As he talks to the Father and he says, for their benefit, Lord, it, it was for them to connect what they could understand with what they could not so that the Son could be glorified, exalted in their minds and understandings. And I, I truly pray that, that as we, we, we discover and, and learn and we read these texts, it's, it's doing the same for us too. Right? This, this going deeper, we're understanding, you know what, Jesus is the powerful Savior, Lamb of God. He, he is returning. He is the, the advocate, all these different names, Right? He has to be exalted. He has to be glorified. So moving ahead this morning to verse 25. And yes, we're going to jump over these verses. I can't believe. Um, But Jesus says to, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. You spend a couple minutes, you grab a vines word study, you get your concordance out. And uh, the word resurrection, who, who knows an Anastasia in their lives? Does somebody know an Anastasia? I think I knew, I knew one growing up. Anastasia. No? Not a common name? Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, the, the, the Greek word is anastasis, okay, for resurrection that's used here. I am the resurrection and the life, all right? And it's really interesting when you start thinking about, you know, somebody intentionally naming your child Anastasia, right? The, the standing up, okay? Kind of um, neat, kind of like Carissa's name is for charis, which means grace in Greek. That's how her parents got the name. So Anastasis, and I'm just going to try and use that as a, a remembrance thing, but Anastasis means to stand up or a standing up, a raising up, a rising up. Okay, so as Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying, I am the standing up. Okay, I am the, the rising up. I am the raising up and the life. Ooh, um, this could lead into a big topical study here in a, in a hurry. But I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And this is the, the first, I'm going to say the, the first mention there with, with vines, but Luke chapter 2, verse 34, we're back into our what some people would call the Christmas narrative. Luke chapter 2, and again, we're looking at this word, anastasis, standing up. Okay? Um, when we, we remember what's going on, this is Simeon. Okay? Jesus, his time to be circumcised, and, and, and Mary and Joseph are bringing him to the temple, and Simeon, uh, oh, maybe we should just read it. Verse... I tried to summarize it before, and I didn't do it justice. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Two things come to mind. Number one, that'd be a pretty awesome promise, <laughs> right? Woohoo, invincible, bring her on, right? Um, but the other part is, it must be coming soon, right? God's anointed, God's chosen, must be coming soon. Now, we remember, I have to try not to get on a rapid trail because some believed he was going to come as a warrior king. You know, some believed there is this, I mean, there was a, a vast ideas of, of the Messiah king. And you imagine Simeon, a baby? You know, are you going to come as a baby? You know, it's kind of a neat thing to consider. But Jesus did. So he came, verse 27, by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, okay, Jesus, Son of God, he didn't change in the midst here, to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Right, the deliverance. This is the promised one he's been looking for, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. What's revelation? Words, truth, God's light. And the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. This is the verse we're looking for. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against, parentheses and brackets, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Okay. What word are we looking for here? Rising up. Yeah, the, the standing up, the anastasis here. And, and we find it here. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising anastasis of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed revealed Jesus had come even as a baby for the one purpose many would fall many would fall away many would reject but he came to stand them up stand up Israel and we're going to see there the, the, the purpose the purposes of that the, the big purpose here Jesus had to, to move and we can turn back to John chapter 11 and I should park there for the rest of, of our time Jesus had to move the people in his inner circle past religion, past ritual to begin understanding what God was doing in the midst of Israel. He had come not just to, to raise Lazarus. He had not just, just come to, to, to do these good things. No, he had come to, to stand up Israel, stand up humanity, stand up creation. He had to move the people in his inner circle past that for the sake of their faith. His time was drawing to a close. Are there not 12 hours in a day? Right? His time walking with the people, right? Uh, it, it was coming to a close. Three weeks from now, Jesus, Jesus would be crucified. There would be much stumbling. Two months from now, Jesus would ascend. There would be much stumbling, right? Jesus, his time was now. Hmm. Standing up, Anastasis. So let's step into verse 17, and we're just going to run through this very quickly this morning. Anastasis. This morning I'm going to ask us to step away 
from what we think we know about this passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at this word. Read, read these words as these women did for the first time when, when Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection in the life. We remember, and, and I'm fully, we know that Jesus would ri- rise, raise Lazarus from the dead. There's a resurrection there. We know that the Old Testament resurrection is mentioned. But as we read this Anastasis, this standing up, there's a, there's a picture here that we need to grasp for our New Testament faith. Verse 17, So when Jesus came, He found that He had been already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. For those wondering how I knew it was two miles away, <laughs> right in the text. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, and went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. As Martha comes running out, she uses this term, Lord, right? Which is a greeting, which is a respected, as if you were addressing a, a master, right? Or, or a, a male, I'll say a headship position, right? Lord. We remember, she had a phileo understanding of Jesus. She comes out and there's respect there. Lord, Lord. I know I've read this verse, there's so many things. Lord, you know, preeminent God. Well, she didn't quite understand that yet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It doesn't sound like she quite understands the whole Jesus is God thing yet. And I keep emphasizing this yet because it takes, it takes time and God leads us in that. It takes time in the Word. It takes prayer and being around mature believers. It takes time to understand and grow in that reverence that's needed. Everyone else This would be a side note. As she comes out and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Everyone else that I read of in my readings and in my devotions and in my time in the Word, everyone else I read of that that understands that Jesus is God, what do they normally do? Where do we find them? Coming before Christ and they understand that He is God. What do we find them doing? They're on their face. Right? They're falling on their face. They're, they're, they're grasping. You know what? Jesus, yes, you are my friend, but you are God. And, and whether it's John, who, whom the, the disciple whom Jesus loved in Revelation, he's on his face. Right? Whether it's, and, and, and you read through that, they're on their faces when they begin to understand that Jesus is God. And I ask you to think about that for a second. And I think about the hunger that we have for Christ. The hunger that we have for His church. The hunger that we have for, for knowing Him more. How do we approach Him? Where, has, where is our hunger? Like, I mean, where, where does that factor into our day? Have we allowed ourselves to drift away from, from, from coming before Lord with that You are the Son of God reverence that's needed? Wasn't that long ago, just in John chapter 10, verse 30, just one page over, Jesus states, I and my Father are one. That humbles my heart. 
that humbles my understanding. There is no casual approach that we ought to have towards, uh, towards Christ because he is the Son of God. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. There's an assurance here. That's a different word that's used. Right? Anastami, I'm going to say, to stand up or rise. Your brother's going to rise again, but there's, there's, there's a bigger picture going on here, Martha. Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Why had Jesus come to the earth? Calvary. To stand up humanity. To stand up Israel. To stand up Jerusalem. To stand up creation. Stand things back to God's original intent. There are three resurrections presented here in these three verses. And let's just, I'm just going to read. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. There are three resurrections presented here in these three verses. Number one, the standing up of Lazarus that was about to take place to magnify, to exalt, to glorify God, who he is, his plan, and his purpose. Right? The second one is the standing up of the Old Testament saints that Martha is speaking of. And we read that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, for those taking notes. Right? It talks about the resurrection, and we understand this to take place pre-millennial, right? just before Christ inaugurates and fully established his thousand-year reign. The Old Testament um, saints are, are raised from the dead. Resurrected, that's better. <laughs> They're resurrected. Yeah. Okay, but then we have, I am the resurrection and the life. And this is the, the big picture. This is the anastasis, the standing up. Why Jesus had come to stand up humanity because it is fallen in the garden. There's a separation there from God spiritually, right? Stand up humanity, stand up Israel, stand up Jerusalem, and creation from their fallen state before God. We, we, we continue with that, to take dominion back from Satan, because that's what he does on Calvary, the grave, the resurrection. He takes that dominion back from Satan, right? That's why we have the spiritual privileges in him. Christ's goal for the church is that we prepare for his return as we're establishing his kingdom, right? And we're back to what we were studying there in, in, in Wednesday nights. You know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's kingdom that comes. As Jesus is speaking to this girl, I am the resurrection, the standing up, and the life. I've come to make things right, garden to glory. Jesus, the teacher, seeks to open her eyes to his purpose, his big picture. He seeks to open their eyes, the people that are following, to who he is and who he needs to be for their faith. And he seeks to open our eyes. This is who you are. This is who you are. The standing up. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And we'll get there as we, we work through the Gospel of John, what actually took place in the grave. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus is going to do much more than just raise us up at that trumpet call, call isn't he? Much more than that, right? 
He's going, to, he's going to allow that seven-year tribulation to take place. Then he's going to come. We're going to return with him. And then he's going to stand things back up. Right? He's going to put things back to, to God's intent. And then we follow that through. And whoever, verse 26, lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then with Martha's words, she said to him, Yes, Lord. <laughs> The, the most important thing that you can get out of this. Right? The most important thing is who Jesus is out of this text. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. That's our bottom line. Messiah, King, Son of God. You are God in the flesh. So this morning... I know I've read, read these verses many, many times. This morning, Jesus is more than a good doctor. Jesus is more than a physician. Jesus is more than someone that's just to turn to in times of need, like, like many people allow him to be or allow themselves to approach Jesus. Jesus is God himself calling us to have faith in him, his eternal plan. The big word is meta-narrative, from, from, from creating man and the world to the eternal state. There's a, a meta-narrative of us enjoying Him, right? Jesus is, is leading us in that. As Jesus is standing before these people, He is revealing God. God who we, we can never, never understand because He's so infinite, so beyond our understanding. And yet as Jesus is standing there, he is relationally calling out to each of us. I died for you. You know, I, I came in the Father's agape love. I want you to experience me. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? That's the message we're supposed to not just be showing. That's the message that we're supposed to be explaining and teaching. That's the, that's the gospel of the kingdom that we're supposed to be preaching. If He is not God, and if He is not master of our lives, and we do not understand this agape love that, that we walk in, what are we sharing? What are we living? Where is that hunger? Where, where is that energy? Where is that passion that, that, that people just go, oh, you know, there, there's something alive about that person. My closing thought, and I wrote it down, when he comes for his church, right? That's a generic term. When he comes for his church, when he comes from, for Cold Stream Baptist Church, we'll make this personal for us this morning. When Christ comes, what is he going to find? When Christ comes, what is he going to find? How is he going to respond? How is he going to respond when he comes? Is it going to be joy well done, faithful servants, right? Present tense, what we're doing, what we're engaged in, what we're committed to, what we're, what we're passionate or burdened or excited about. Is he going to be joyful? Or is there going to be a groan? And we know the rest of this narrative. We'll, we'll go through it a little bit there in a couple of weeks as I try and get momentum for verse 12, chapter 12. But we know Jesus groans here. I just can't help but think, you know, as Jesus comes back for us, and I'm looking around the room, and I'm going to say, us, for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, born again gloriously, as he comes back for us, is it going to be joy? 
Is there going to be a groan? Because we missed why he came. We missed that agape. We missed that, that, that being part of that standing up that he was calling us to. It's a serious, serious charge. But it's something that, that we remedy now as we think. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you just for an understanding of agape love. Understanding the difference. Lord, so many conversations I've had over the past six years with people that I guess I leave just they don't get it, but it's because they're not looking for, for your love in the right places. Lord, and I just thank you that we can understand this agape love this morning. Lord, I thank you that we understand the, the big picture because we read our Bibles. We're hungry for the word, Lord. We understand that, that the fallen man, you came to stand back up. You, you are going to stand up creation. You are going to restore all things back to the way you intended, Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us in the present as you've called us to build your kingdom. Lord, to prepare, prepare for your return, Lord, I pray that you would just give us a heart for souls and a heart for faithfulness. I just pray these things in your precious name.